as you're seated, take your Bibles and find for me 1 Corinthians, if you will. Memorial Day weekend is a befitting time for us to come together, not only to remember those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our security and our safety and our pleasure, but also to remember the one who paid the ultimate price that we could have eternal life. The two go together wonderfully well. As we have been with you, the constant theme that has overarched everything the Lord has put on my heart to do is this matter of intentionality. You remember as we were looking at Acts chapter 2, we found that the, the reason this church was so successful, it impacted so many lives, and so many people came to join the Lord in the endeavor. They were intentional. They were purposeful about the things that they did. Five things particularly, they were purposeful about sharing the gospel, about sharing their story about how God had transformed their lives. And because of that, hundreds and thousands regularly were falling in love with Jesus. They were intentional about discipleship. They wanted to be very careful to not only teach all the things that the Lord had taught them, but show them how to apply those into their lives, that there's a transformation in the process. And we found that the more we're sharing our story, the more we're sharing the gospel, the more we're helping people apply the word into their lives, our church is growing. It's getting stronger. And then we saw that they were intentional about fellowship. And this is something that grew out of their relationship with Jesus Christ, but is what bound us to one another. And it continues to bind us today. Out of our shared relationship with Jesus Christ, our care and concern for one another, all of our pastoral ministries, even the times that we do get together for Kona Ice and a hot dog and a hamburger, whatever, it's overarched by the solidarity and unity of the family of Christ. Today, I want to look at the fourth thing that united them together and that enabled them to have such purpose and power. And that is intentional worship. They were very, very intentional, very practical, very focused, very, very intentional about their worship. And we need to be. Folks, think for a moment. You have come into the house of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're sitting before the throne of the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end the creator and sustainer of all that was and is and is to come. That's whose presence you're coming into. And we should never, ever take that casually or flippantly. Never. Because we are dealing with the Most High God. If you had opportunity to, to go into the presence of an elder statesman for president or a king or even a, a beloved religious leader that you would know, you would not go casually into that. You would prepare yourself. You would, you would not, not go flippantly into that. I remember the opportunity I had with one other pastor to, to pray with Billy Graham right before he would go on to preach for a crusade. And, and I'd known about that for weeks ahead of time. And it stayed on my mind, I am going to be sitting down next to and holding the hand of Billy Graham and praying over him. And I was awestruck. I mean, that's just a man. That's just a preacher. What about to come into the presence of the Holy One of Israel, 
And not just come into his presence, but come into his home and come to his table to sit with him. That's where we are today. The church at Corinth, we're reading a little bit, they made a big mistake. They were not careful about this. They, they had become quite flippant and casual about coming into the presence of God. And they were not preparing themselves for worship. They were not preparing themselves to enter into his presence. And Paul will say, we'll read it in a moment, this is the reason some of you are sick and some of you have even died because you've not taken seriously what it is you're doing coming into his presence. Read with me from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in an unworthy manner, not being unworthy, but in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so, meaning once he's done that, let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, there it is again, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. This is the call to worship. This is the call to enter into his presence. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, forgive us for any, any sense whatsoever that we may have been too casual about coming into your presence. Or maybe so caught up with getting here, or the kids, or being late, or whatever the case may be. That we've not paused to prepare our hearts. But thank you that we get to do that. We get to do that now. And so pull us close to your heart. Holy Spirit, prepare us to come to the table of the king of this universe, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, please keep in mind again, Paul did not say you've got to be worthy to come to the table. Not a one of us are worthy to come to the table. Not a one of us are good enough and have done enough good things or, or not sinned enough or whatever that we're worthy to be in the Lord's house and at the Lord's table. He didn't say that. He said to come in an unworthy manner. There's a difference. And he says in an unworthy manner, what that means is you're not careful to understand in whose presence you sit. You're not careful to discern what these things symbolize. And you're not careful to, uh, enough to understand that this is the body of Christ. This is the bread of Christ in chapter 10 of Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians. That's, that's what he says, that we are the body, we are the bread of Christ. To take it casually, to take it flip flippantly, doesn't discern these things. So what do we do? How do we come in a worthy manner? 
I want you to look at your notes and I want to give you three words that are essential right here. Write them down. We are to examine our own hearts. We're to judge our own sins. And we're to confess them to the Lord. These three words, examine, judge, and confess. We're to examine our hearts. We're to say, Holy Spirit, look within me. Shine the brilliant light of your, your holiness and your justice and, and your glory. Shine it into every little dark recess of my life. Let there be no corner, let there be no closet, nothing underneath any chair that is not totally laid bare before you. And then God, as you do that, show me. Show me the sin in my life. Show me the bitterness against a family member or a brother in Christ. Show me my pride. Show me whatever it is. Because I, I don't want to come before you and be embarrassed. Don't you know as the Lord comes in the room, He doesn't just see how your hair is combed and how you're dressed. He looks right into the depths of your soul. And we're about to come and sit at his table. And he wants to look and he wants to see that his family are gathered together in unity. In one body and one heart and one mind. So he looks and we need to ask him to look. Is there anything here, Lord, that would cause me to be in an unworthy manner to come before you? Because if there is, I want to judge it. That's the next word. That means calling it what it is. I need to call it bitterness. I need to call it unforgiveness. I need to call it pride. Or I need to call it whatever it is. I need to call it by name. And not try to cover it up. Or, 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 or pretty it up. Or somehow make excuses for it. God, shine the light of your brilliance into the depths of who I am. And then I want to confess that to you. I want to confess that to you. That as I confess and repent, then the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse me from all that sin. This is what it means to come in a worthy manner. You come with your heart prepared. You don't just run off in off the street and grab the cup, throw it back. What? No. It means that argument that you and your husband had as you came here and here this morning. You need to cross, reach across there and grab him by the hand. Squeeze it one time, which means we're going to deal with this later. <laughs> but have your heart clear. Have your mind prepared. Now, listen to me. Nobody, nobody who doesn't know the Lord... No one who is not a believer in Jesus Christ should partake today because you haven't joined the family. You haven't been born again into the family of God. I love you and I'm glad you're here, but just let it pass you by today because you have to be a part of the body to discern the body. And so that's, that's essential. Please hear me there. But then for everyone else that is a believer in Christ, we're going to pray in just a moment and ask God to prepare our hearts that we can come 
and sit at his table and look him in the eyes and be at peace. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we want to discern the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ are my brothers and sisters that are around me. Just as much as it is symbolized by this bread. This is a a living sermon. And we want to be true to you. So Holy Spirit, right now, do what only you can do. Is there anything in my heart that's unworthy of bringing into your presence? Is there any anger or hurt? Any bitterness or pride? Any unforgiveness or hatred? Holy Spirit, relentlessly Shine the light of your presence. Because we need to see it and then we want to judge it. We want to call it what it is, God. Sin in my heart. That doesn't need to be there. And we want to confess that to you. Confess it and with all that is within us, repent of it. Lord, your word tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So we ask you to cleanse us even now. And as we are ministered to by our singers today, may we hold on every word as we go through this process of examining and judging and confessing before we come to your table. In your name we pray. Amen. The Lord's Supper is built off of the Passover. Jesus instituted it at the Passover. Now the Passover itself was a sermon in action. A sermon that was acted out. And specifically it had to do with God's provision. How God takes care of us. And it pointed specifically how he took care of the children of Israel in the wilderness. He brought them out of Egypt provided them an avenue through the Red Sea, which was impossible. And then in the wilderness, you know, for a couple, several million people, you just can't bring enough provisions for everybody to eat very long. And so they found themselves in a situation that they were hungry. But God always provides where he guides. And where he leads, he feeds. I want you to know that. And so what he did is he provided for them something supernatural. And that supernatural thing that he provided for them was called manna. Manna. Now you and I are familiar with that term a little bit if you've been around church very long. But it's a strange word. Uh, It's a word that they kind of had to create. And there's really not a definition for that word. The closest thing I found, are you ready for this? The closest definition for manna is stuff. It's stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's heavenly stuff. It's this little white little cake stuff. Now, in my humble and accurate opinion, I think it was angel food cake. But that's just me. Now, I don't know that for sure. But they're these little, little cakes, little loaves, very tiny. And, and they sat on the ground. 
And they had all of the nutrients necessary to sustain life in that harsh, harsh environment. And so every morning, God provided. And every morning, they went up and gathered up just enough for themselves. And that was essential. Each person had to do this. Each person had to gather up enough for themselves and their family. Okay? You know, Tony couldn't have eaten it and it helped Brian. Didn't work that way. Brian had to get his own. Everybody had to gather what was right for them. And God provided it every day, early every morning. And it's a picture, folks, of how we need to meet with the Lord early every morning. To, to get what needs to sustain us for the day that's ahead. That's imperative. This is why we need to be with the Lord every morning. When you get up, you need to have at least a little bit of time that you go sit with him in his word, the living bread, that we can receive every day what we need. And I know you come here every week, and I'm so glad that you do. I appreciate your faithfulness. I'm glad you come here, and you're, you're filled, and you're blessed, and you're, you're just overwhelming. But listen, what you receive here on Sunday will not last you all week long. It's not designed to. Because every day, you need to go pick up the new, the fresh, this day's manna for this day's problems. Jesus was that manna. And you see the portrait of him in the manna itself. John chapter 6, read that one sometime when you have an opportunity to do John chapter 6. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. You know, you, you, you talk about Moses and him providing you manna. Moses didn't provide you that manna. God, my God provided you that manna. But I am that manna. I am that bread of life. I am that bread that's come down out of heaven for you. And, and the manna is a picture. It's a portrait of Christ. First of all, it speaks to who Jesus is. His humility. You found the manna every morning on the ground. It didn't fall on your table. You had to go get it. It did grow on a tree that you had to climb up and receive it. You had to go and you had to get on your knees to get your manna for that day. You know, one of the things I love about going to the Holy Land is visiting the Church of the Holy Nativity. It's a church that's built over the cave where Jesus was born. But in order to get into the church, the doorway, the header, is only about that tall. And then there's a footstep that's about that high. And so you have to bend way over and step in very carefully, bow down to enter that holy place. Because of who Jesus is with his humility, he was born in a, in, in a cave. He was born in a, a cattle stall. He was put in a manger, a feed trough. And he spent his life that way. You know, he would later say to one that he said that he wanted to follow him, he said, listen, you need to understand something. <laughs> Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And in an act of humility to where his disciples could never forget it or miss it, this very night that he instituted the Lord's Supper, he began by stripping down and putting a cloth around his waist and washing the feet of his disciples, something that the lowest of servants dreaded to do, but he did. 
The manna was a picture of his, human, uh, his humility. It also talked about how Jesus came. You know, the manna wasn't brought from Egypt. It wasn't manufactured in the wilderness. The manna was provided and came down out of heaven, prepared by God himself to place before his people. Jesus said this in John 6, He said, For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. The manna came at night. Jesus came into the darkness to bring the light. And every morning we find it fresh, as Jesus wants to find us fresh every morning, bowing before him. And he came right to where they were. Did you know that, that Jesus comes right to where you are? Aren't you glad you didn't have to get your act together before you came to Christ? Many of us never would have. No, we couldn't have. But he came to us where we are. The manna followed them all over the desert. No matter where they were, that's where the manna was. And no matter where you are, that's where your Lord is. Fresh for you every morning. Because only Jesus can meet us at the point of our deepest need. Because the third thing here, the manna speaks of what we must do. We've got to receive it individually. We've got to receive Jesus Christ individually. Your mama can't do that for you. Your daddy can't do that for you. Your wife can't do that for you, guys. You have to have your very own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But out of that flows life for each and every day. So as we take that bread in these next few moments, I want you to hold it in your hand as long as you can. And think about how Jesus Christ is that which sustains you every moment of every day. Father God, we come before you to sit at your table, having our hearts cleansed by the blood of Christ, having examined ourselves, judged our sin, and confessed that before you so that you might cleanse us. And now with clean hands and a pure heart, we approach our place at the table, a place for every one of us. We sit before you. And when you look at us, it's not with shame. And when we look at you, it's not with shame. Because your blood has cleansed us. Lord, as we hold the bread in our hand, may we remember the body of Christ who was broken and crushed that we might have life. In your name we pray. O bread of life. Amen. Hear the word of God as I read it over you. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, that verily, verily, or actually the word is amen, amen. I say to you, it is not Moses 
who has given you the bread of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread that God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to all of the world. They said to him, Lord, give us of this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they were dead. And this is the bread that comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and never, ever die. I am that living bread which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the whole world. Paul would later say, For I have received from the Lord, which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Holy Spirit, as we gaze at this little wafer, we understand that it's a picture of the manna, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came out of heaven, lived a sinless life, and then was crushed. For the wheat to be made into bread, it has to first be crushed. And you took the weight of my sin. You took the weight of all our sin. All of that crushing weight upon yourself. We remember. And we take this remembering you. And celebrating the life that was given, that we may live. In the name of the bread of life do we pray. Amen. Even as the manna is a portrait of Christ, the blood is a portrait of Christ as well. And as we partake of the cup, Jesus said, this cup that I'm giving you, this is the new covenant, the new covenant, and it's sealed by my blood. A covenant was always had to be sealed by blood. Uh, it, was, it was essential. That's what a covenant was, a, a blood covenant. And Jesus said, my blood will make this covenant for you. The writer of Hebrews makes it abundantly clear that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Throughout the Bible, 457 times, blood is mentioned most of the time as a sacrificial offering for the covering of sins. The Bible paints broad brushstrokes of the blood. 
but it also paints in minute detail. And we can take a forensic microscope this morning and look at the blood of Jesus Christ and find out about the Lord. You see, the blood that we look at is perfect. Perfect in every way. As a matter of fact, even Judas cried out, I have betrayed innocent blood. Paul said, for God has made Jesus to be sin for us, him who knew no sin, that he might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Pilate interrogated him, what did he say? I find no fault in him. And Jesus himself challenged the crowd, which of you will convince me of sin? Which of you will pronounce any sin in my life? John would add, in him is no sin. The blood of Jesus is perfect. But it's because the blood of Jesus is pure. It's pure. It can do what no other blood could do. It could do what the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could never do. That, that would only cover sin. But the blood of the Lamb of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sins. Hey, there's a big difference right there. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd much prefer my sin to be cleansed and to be covered, wouldn't you? To be gone. To be gone. And the blood of Jesus Christ is permanent. As you read in the book of Hebrews, a wonderful, wonderful study in chapters 9 and 10. But it talks about Jesus laying down his life once and for all. One time and for everybody. Once and for all. And finally, the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful. Absolutely powerful. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says, You, O Christ, you, O Lord, have redeemed us to God by the blood of the Lamb. When you hold that cup, stare into the juice before you and remember that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you from all sin. Will you pray with me? Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood that cleanses. The blood running down your brow from the crown placed upon it. The blood from the wounds on your face where you were stricken. The blood from your torso that was cut by the cat of nine tails, ripping away great strips of flesh. The blood that flows from the hands that were pierced and the feet. And the blood in the water that flowed from the wound in the side. Oh, the blood. The blood of precious Christ. The blood that you shed so that our sins may be cleansed.
Father, may we never take lightly coming into the presence of your Son. The debt that we owed that was paid in full by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Remission of sins. Paul would add, Almost all things of the law are purged with blood, but without the shedding of blood there will be no remission of sins. And then to the Colossians he wrote, We have redemption through the blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Peter would add, We're not redeemed with silver and gold or precious stones, but we're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And John, in 1 John 1, reminds us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. All sins. Not just our past sins, though they're covered by the blood of Christ, but our present sins. Those things that we took to the Lord earlier in this hour and asked Him to cleanse us of, And in some miraculous and mysterious way that I can't begin to explain. He covers us even from the sins of tomorrow. Look into the cup. And remember, Jesus said this. He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, drink it in remembrance of me. Holy Spirit, as we look deep into the dark liquid, our mind goes back to the cross to the price that's paid for our salvation. But then they took you down. They placed your body in a borrowed tomb. They rolled the stone away. But he couldn't hold you. Death could not contain you. Three days later you rose to seal the covenant and to give us eternal life. And that's why you tell us as often as we take of this bread and drink of this cup, we preach, we proclaim your death until you come again. Lord, we remember In the name of our Lord Christ do we pray. Amen. The blessing that Aaron spoke over all of the children of Israel. He said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. You're dismissed.